0: This morning, I invite you to take your Bible, turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence for public reading of God's holy word. They went across the lake to the region of the Garrisones. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep embankment into the lake, and they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Bless his holy name. You may be seated. The man at the beginning of our passage was an intimidating sight to behold His long, black, wiry hair was greasy and matted with a mixture of blood, sweat, and dirt. His dim, dark eyes darted and danced back and forth in paranoid frenzy. His face was weathered and wrinkled under the heat of the Palestinian sun. His unkept beard was twisted and tangled halfway down his chest. Bruises from self-mutilation blotched his skin like ink spots. Along his forearms and thighs were cuts and scrapes and gashes from where he had tried to numb the pain and silence the agony of his misery. Certainly this man was an intimidating sight to behold. As I read this story, I often wonder how long was this man demon-possessed? Most of us want to think in our minds that this guy was crazy since infancy. And the reason we want to think that is because we don't want any of his story to be part of our story. We don't want his background to be anything like our background. So we think that he was loony from the moment of inception. I think this is what draws us to reality television. This is what causes us to listen to talk show radio. Because we think to ourselves, I know I'm not the best singer, but I'm better than that guy who's on the television. I know that my family doesn't have everything together and we've got some problems, but we're not nearly as messed up as that family on that television show. I know that I'm quirky and I know that I'm a little bit weird, but at least I'm not as weird as that individual who calls in to that talk radio show each and every day. We like reality television and we like talk radio because we think to ourselves, I may be weird, but at least I'm not as weird as that. We come to a story like this and we feel the same way. We don't want this man's backstory to resemble anything about our backstory, so we say he must have been a freak show from the very beginning. But what if this man was a lovable child and a respectable teenager and a hardworking businessman? What if this individual used to coach Junior's ball team, be active in civic organizations, even the president of the Chamber of Commerce. What if this man, who did not know the Lord, yet most people regarded him as a good person, whatever that means. They would say, this guy was a good person until he went off the deep end. And this man had sin that festered and went unchecked in his life. And whenever sin goes unchecked and it festers in your life, the end result is destruction. After all, uh, the devil's goal is to completely annihilate you. That's what the devil wants. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give life more abundant and free. The devil's purpose is to Greek chaos in your life and to literally annihilate you that's what he wanted to do to this man and i'm sure that the man in our story was at the top of everybody's prayer list oh everybody in that gentile region was praying for him and everybody in the region of the garrisons would do gentile religious rituals in the hopes that this man would get better but instead of getting better he got worse Eventually he became a minister society, and what do you do with people that are a minister society? You lock them up. But the problem was, when this man was chained and locked up hand and foot, he was as strong as many mighty men, and he would break the chains and unloose the stocks, and nobody could subdue him. So eventually they had to evict him out of the village. They quarantined him to the graveyard. They told him he had to stay in the cemetery. and at night... You could hear this man screaming at the top of his voice. He was screaming in the hopes that somehow his pain would be numbed. Somehow something would happen that would give way to the agony that was in his spirit. He would howl at the moon. He would run around, scantily clad, if clothed at all. And everybody regarded him as a lunatic, crazy, freak show. Jesus and the disciples came across the Sea of Galilee. They they landed in the region of the Gerasenes. It's important to note that this is a predominantly Gentile area. Not the only time that Jesus goes into a Gentile area, but in Mark's gospel, this is the first time that he's gone to a predominantly Gentile area. Most of his ministry was housed in Israel. Most of his ministry was housed among other individuals that were uh followers of Judaism. But on this day, Jesus goes intentionally to a Gentile area. He goes to where the grave site is. He goes to the cemetery. And I think that as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, he makes a beeline for the this man and he says to that evil spirit come out of him and the evil spirit then made a beeline to Jesus and this man came to Jesus and asked the question what do you want with me Jesus son of the most high God in Mark's gospel it seems that only the demons understand the identity of Jesus nobody else gets it The Pharisees thought Jesus was demon-possessed. They said he is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he drives out demons. His own family didn't even understand his identity because they said he's crazy, he's out of his mind, and they came to take charge of him. Even his disciples didn't understand his true identity for they asked the question, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Everybody's asking the question, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What is the identity of Christ? And the demonic come and they say, you are Jesus, son of the most high God. Even the demons understand who Jesus is. If you allow that thought to sink deeply into your mind, Then you must conclude that you could biblically say to your friends who are atheist and agnostic, you are dumber than a demon. Even the demons know who Jesus is. Even the demons declare you are the son of the most high God. And Jesus asked the question, what is your name? A name signifies character, essence. What is your name? And at this moment, I think the demons are trying to intimidate Jesus. The demons say, my name is Legion. If you can hear it in the most sinister voice, if you can hear it in the most demonic nature, I think that they are trying to intimidate the son of God. We are legion. Legion is a military term. It, it means a company of about 6,000. What this guy is saying is that there are about 6,000 demons that are taking up residence in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit. We are legion. And I think they were trying to intimidate Jesus because they wanted him to know he was outnumbered. 6,000 to one. But Jesus didn't flinch. By the way, Jesus never flinches. He never gets intimidated. Jesus just might be outnumbered, but he's never outmatched. Let me say that again. Jesus just might be outnumbered, but he's never outmatched. Let me say it a third time because you are Trinitarian. Jesus just might be outnumbered, but he's never outmatched. Listen, the devil may have won the battle in your life right now, but Jesus has won the war. The devil may have some knowledge, but Jesus has all knowledge. The devil may have some power, but Jesus has all power. The devil may be here, but not there. But our Lord Jesus is everywhere. Jesus, while he may be outnumbered, he He is never outmatched it didn't take very long for that demoniac named legion to realize that he could not intimidate jesus so he pleaded please don't send us out of this region don't torture us please send us to the pigs Grazing on the hillside, there was a large herd of pigs. It is Mark and Mark alone who tells us there are about 2,000 pigs in that herd. And Jesus permitted the demons to go into those pigs. The demons understood they could do nothing outside the permission of Jesus. They had no jurisdiction because Jesus was there. Friend, let me tell you that both hell and hallelujah cannot occupy the same geographical space. The the demons understood that hell and hallelujah cannot occupy the same space. Whenever temptation comes at you, my friend, the best thing you can do is simply say hallelujah. The best thing you can do is just praise the Lord. After all, that's what hallelujah means. It's a conjunction in the Hebrew language of hallel, which means praise, and yah, which is short for Yahweh. So every time you say hallelujah, you are saying praise Yahweh, praise the Lord Jesus. Let me just remind you what James says. James says that we are to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know what what he's really meaning? He's meaning that hell and hallelujah can't occupy the same space. Because the moment the demons come at you, all you have to do is say the name that's above every name. Jesus. The name that's sweeter than any name I know. Jesus. Just to say the name Jesus over and over again. And the devil and the demons have to say, if you're going to talk about Jesus, I'm out of here. Because hell and hallelujah cannot occupy the same geographical space. Send us to the swine. And Jesus gave them permission. Now, you know this is a predominantly Gentile area because there's a herd of 2,000 pigs. You're not going to find that in Israel. You're not going to find a pig farmer in Israel. You're not going to find a pig farmer that has a large farm of 2,000 pigs. Why? Because pigs are regarded as unclean animals. You may ask the question, well, why are they unclean? In Leviticus chapter 11, Moses says to the people of God, you are to eat the meat of animals that have a split hoof that's completely divided and animals that chew the cud. In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 3, it specifically identifies a pig. A pig is an animal who has a split hoof completely divided, but it does not chew the cud. Therefore, a pig is to be regarded as unclean. So to this day, you will not find 2,000 pigs In Israel, you will not find Jewish people that will consume any pork. Why? Because still to this day, they believe that this is an unclean animal. Now, I don't want to question your intelligence in any way, but do you know what it means to chew the cud? An animal eats the food, swallows the food, and then that animal. Vomits that food back into its mouth, chews on it a second time, and swallows it again. That process is called chewing the cut. Now listen, I realize that medically some individuals, some not individuals, some, some animals have to do this for the digestive system. But that's just nasty. <laughs> this past week, I just said, thank you, Jesus, that you did not make humans to chew the cud. Because even if it was normal activity, it would be gross. Imagine with me. You take your sweet wife to dinner. It's a nice dinner. It's a white tablecloth dinner. It's got utensils that you don't even know what to do with around that plate. And you're sitting there and your wife looks beautiful, dressed up, makeup's perfect. You get lost in her eyes as you sit there and enjoy and dine together, and all of a sudden, your sweet wife goes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that would would mess up the moment, don't you think? (laughs) I mean, if we're having a conversation, if we're just talking, and all of a sudden, as I'm talking to you, you sit there and go, what were you saying? I would mess up the conversation. I'd say, we're done. We're done. Just forget it. Now, some of y'all chew the cud, but that's not normal. I mean, some of y'all burp and belch and something comes up in your mouth. let us That's a problem. You need to go to the doctor because humans aren't supposed to chew the cud. All right. So because a pig does not chew the cud, he was regarded as unclean. So you can't eat that food. So Jesus gave permission to those demons to go into the swine to prove that the purpose of the devil is to destroy the host. Those 2,000 pigs were in utter chaos. And they ran down that steep embankment into the Sea of Galilee, and they drowned. That just proves that what the devil wants to do to any host Anyone who he has control over, utter destruction. Can you imagine the sights and sounds that that event? I mean, 2,000 pigs squealing, right? And I'm sorry, I've got to say it. 2,000 pigs going, wee, 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 all the way home, right? <laughs> I mean, all the way down to their demise. And if, if, if I've got to be honest with you, I think that's a waste. I mean, think about all the ham. All the bacon, all the the sausage, all the barbecue, all that wasted down into the Sea of Galilee. Now listen, Jesus did not send the demons into the swine just because he was a Jewish man and pigs were regarded as unclean. that's That's not the reason why he did that. Because in God's economy, Jesus said if the price Of one life transformed is 2,000 pigs. That's a bargain. That's what Jesus said. If if it's going to take 2,000 pigs to save one person, to transform one life, to restore and to liberate and to break the chains of bondage to one individual, if it's going to cost 2,000 pigs, so be it. Because Jesus, while he is the creator of all things and he loves all animals... Animals are not the same as humans. I need to say this and run the risk of getting some nasty emails from you. But I've got to tell you, I know you love Whiskers, your cat. And I know that Fluffy the dog is part of the family. And I know that Nemo the goldfish, you absolutely adore him. But those animals are animals. They're not humans. And Jesus says if the cost of one transformed life is 2,000 pigs, that is a bargain. Jesus and the disciples and the demoniac weren't the only ones who saw what took place. The attendants of those pigs also saw what took place. They ran back into town, told everybody what happened, and told the owner of the pigs. And that farmer came out. And when they came out, they saw that the one who was demon-possessed, seated at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, smile across his face and a sparkle in his eyes. And they were more afraid of the transforming power of Christ than that man who used to be demon-possessed. They said when he's demon-possessed, we can control him. We can put him in his place. But Jesus, he's out of control. Jesus, we can't control him. Jesus, we can't harness that power. So they got afraid of Jesus and they ordered him to leave. They pleaded with him to get out of the region of the Gerasenes and Jesus and the boys got back into the boat to sail back across the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because Jesus will never stay where he's not welcome. They said, we don't want you here. And Jesus got back in the boat. As he was getting back in the boat, the man who had been transformed came up to Jesus and said, please, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no. You need to go back to your family and tell them what the Lord has done in your life. And immediately, the man went back throughout all those 10 cities of the Decapolis, telling everybody, family and friends, about the mercy of the Lord Jesus and how much God had done for him. When I read that, I marvel at the fact that Jesus did not lead him through a six-week course on evangelism. He just said, go and tell your story. Go and tell about the transforming power of Christ. And that man went, and apparently there was great success. And Jesus sent him to the toughest place on the planet to evangelize. He sent him back home. You could give testimony that sometimes it's your family. Those are the people it's hardest to share the gospel with. You go through Thanksgiving, you go through Christmas, and you know you need to talk to them about the Lord, but you, just, you bring yourself and say, I, I, I just can't do it. Not this time, maybe next time. Because family, that's the toughest place on the planet to evangelize. And that's exactly where Jesus sent this man who used to be demon-possessed. Jesus and the disciples got back in the boat. They went back across the Sea of Galilee to go back home. And everybody was amazed. When I read this story, I come to the end of it and I ask the question, why does Mark tell us this story and place it in this spot of his gospel? Some have said, well, the reason he told us this story is because of the priority of, of evangelism, that we are to share our story, the, the transforming power of the gospel. And certainly... Certainly, that is a byproduct of the story, but I don't think it's the main point of the story. I think what Mark is doing is he's answering the last question that we heard at the end of Mark chapter four on the lips of the disciples. You may remember the story well. Jesus and the disciples were in the Sea of Galilee. They were on a boat. They were setting sail, going to the region of the Gerasenes. And a severe squall came up A storm that left these seasoned sailors petrified. They asked, where is Jesus? I don't know, came the reply. We'll go get him. They found him asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. They woke him up and Jesus stood up and said, peace, be still. And immediately the rain stopped falling, the wind stopped howling, and the waves stopped crashing. And turning to his disciples, Jesus asked the question, why are you so afraid? And then he followed up with, and why do you still have no faith? The disciples looked at each other, dumbfounded, and they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I think that Mark is answering the question of who is this? In Mark's gospel, nobody knows the identity of Jesus. Nobody knows with accuracy who Jesus is, except for the demons. And Jesus wants to make his uh, identity known, and Mark wants to make his identity known. So Mark says, let me tell you this story, and in this story, it proves who Jesus is. Because Jesus is a savior who makes special trips to special places to break sin's bondage one person at a time. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior who makes special trips to special places to break sin's bondage one person at a time. That's why he went to the Gerasenes. That's why he went. He went for this one man. The case could be made that the only reason Jesus sailed across the Sea of Galilee was to liberate this one loony lunatic named Legion. That's the only reason he went. He went for one person. Not the only time in the ministry of Jesus that he goes for one. Sometimes he goes for many. Sometimes he goes for one sometimes jesus makes special trips to special places to liberate the bondage of sin one person at a time ultimately sin's bondage is broken at calvary where all of our hang-ups and all of our bad habits and all of our sin and all of our activity past present and future is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more And Jesus died in our place to the point that he declared it is finished. He died. He gave up his spirit. They took his dead body, placed it into a borrowed tomb. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to give you victory and power. So on this day, Jesus wants you to have victory. On this day, Jesus wants you to know you have power over sin. On this day, Jesus wants you to know that you can be victorious over any sin that strives to slay you. Because in Christ... He is a Savior who makes special trips to special places to break sin's bondage one person at a time. I do need to make this one further clarifying statement. That if you are in Christ, you cannot be demon possessed. If you are in Christ, you cannot be demon possessed. Because you are sealed In salvation by the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 1. You are sealed with a deposit that guarantees your salvation. And that deposit is the Holy Spirit himself. So the Holy Spirit is your shield. And so the devil cannot possess you. The devil cannot get inside of you. But if you're in Christ, the devil can demon oppress you, press against you, press upon you. He can squeeze you, but he cannot get into you. But if you're outside of Christ, you're fair game. If you're outside of Christ, you have no shield and no protection against the adversary. If you're outside of Christ, you are fair game and the devil could come in at any moment and wreak havoc and annihilation in your life. But even if you are in Christ, you can give testimony that that old devil comes against you, doesn't he? He comes against me. He presses against us, tries to beat us down, tries to uh, uh, oppress us. But greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. I said, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Even though you may still, that uh, you are in Christ, you still have to battle the adversary. So this morning, let me ask you before I sit down, let me ask you, what is the bondage of sin that you have to fight today? What is the bondage of sin that you have to fight today, Christian? And maybe somebody here is fighting the addiction of alcohol. There's somebody who is a closet alcoholic. Maybe there's somebody here fighting the addiction of nicotine. And maybe it's a cigarette, but maybe it's an e-cigarette. Maybe it's, it's vaping. You say to yourself, oh, pastor, you don't even know what you're talking about because vaping has no nicotine. Well, according to a survey study uh, that was done this past week that I read the article, uh, it was done by UAB. And then and, and they testified and they evaluated that some of the Juul pods, you know, I knew that some of the Juul pods of the e-cigarettes, they have 59 milligrams of nicotine in them. And a cigarette has two to three milligrams of nicotine in it. So don't tell me that you're just trying to smell like Fruity Pebbles. Don't tell me you're just trying to vape and just trying to say, well, all it is is water. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have a negative effect on me. But you're craving tricks. You're craving uh, Fruity Pebbles all the time. Because this day, Jesus wants to come in and break that addiction of vaping. Maybe some of you have an addiction to porn. You know what it is. To go a month without looking at pornography, and that month becomes only a couple of weeks, only becomes a couple of days, only becomes a couple of hours, and then it becomes consuming in your life. Today Jesus wants to break that bondage of sin. Maybe it's gambling, maybe it's gossip, maybe it's greed, maybe it's food, maybe you just kind of uh eat to live and live to eat. Maybe, maybe that's that's your addiction of choice. Whatever it is, I want you to know that Jesus is a savior. Who makes special trips to special places to break sin's bondage one person at a time. And I want you to know that Pelham is on the radar of Christ. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. And he knows how you are. He knows what you're into. He knows what you are uh, susceptible to. Jesus knows who you are, where you are, and how you are. And Jesus today, I'm just convinced, Jesus today has made a special trip in this place for a special person like you just to break sin's bondage one person at a time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It was John L. W. Stott who said, the only function of faith is to accept what grace offers. Grace is offering you victory today. Grace is offering you life today. Grace is offering you a new chance today. Grace is offering you hope today and by faith you take God at his word because my chains are gone and I've been set free and if you listen closely you can hear chains falling can't you if you listen closely you can hear Chains falling because Jesus is a chain breaker. Jesus comes and he takes your pain and he takes your agony and he takes it upon himself. And he says, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to uh, uh, give you over to this sin, over this bad habit. I don't want, I'm going to come to break that from your life. I think that today somebody walked in with a chain that Jesus wants to break. I just think that somebody just needs to tell somebody about what's going on in their life. And Jesus is a savior who makes a special trip to a special place to break sin's bondage. One person, one person, one person, one person at a time. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this invitation. And Father, I can hear the clanking of chains. I know that people come in and they are incarcerated by secrets and bad activities. Even Christians, especially Christians. And today, oh Lord, during this invitation, I pray that you will show up and show off in a mighty way. I pray that you will come and break every chain that attempts to oppress us. Have your way in Jesus' name, amen.